I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. All right. I'd like to, first of all, Dave Grounds, uh, thank you so much for you know being a, a member of this episode around intuition and business. Dave is the president and CEO of Dorn Homes, and Dave and I met oh about six weeks ago up in Prescott, Arizona, and they were doing a, uh, a yearly all-hands retreat with their company, and I came away from that particular event, Dave, just absolutely high as a kite. It was probably a good thing that I was driving down from Prescott to Phoenix because I could sort of get myself grounded again. It was really a transformative experience. And I I was telling people about this. It wasn't, I don't think, anything that was different about me per se because I've done things like that before. But it was you. It was your team. It was the culture of your organization that, that was so ripe for the conversation that we had. And I guess I would like to maybe first ask you, you know, what is your, what's your mission behind the work that you do with, with Dorn Homes? Because it's obviously not just about hammering nails. I mean, there's something much more going on here. Well, you're, you're, first off, you're very kind, Dean, in, in everything that you said. So I'm, I'm humbled by your comments. Thank you. I, I think if, if, you, if you and I would have met 15 years ago, a, I would never have been invited to be a guest on your podcast because I, I ran the company a different way. And then we went through the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009, which was just so brutal and so dehumanizing to everybody in the real estate world because of what we all went through. We came out the other side as a different organization. I think we went into the recession as a, as a developer and a home builder, and we came out as a for lack of a better description, a kind of a non-denominational ministry that was less and is less concerned about the profit and every metric and more concerned about a, a galvanizing mission that our, our I, I call it a family. It's you know, more in tune with what we are than a company, but that, that our family's engaged in. And I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but we're, we're just a different group of people now than we were before all the carnage of the Great Recession. Oh, there's so much about that I want to ask. So what, because a lot of companies went through that Great Recession. I mean, we did. We could talk nothing about all of that. But why did you decide to change the way you ran the business? Most companies would say the recession was, was tough. We got through it. and We're just going to go double down on what we did well before. I mean, it seemed like what you're saying is that you you had a different approach. Why did you choose a different approach? Well, and I don't know if it was my choice or if it was it was what was handed to me and 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 the company. It was de- and we can use the term destiny or or the obstacle. You know, like Ryan Holiday's "The Obstacle Is the Way." So the, the biggest obstacle of my life, my entire life, presented itself, and to that book's credit, I, I think it created a way for us. And so what happened, and I remember vividly the very first 
meeting when my CFO walked in and we looked at our books and our forecasts and our cash flow and realized how ugly it was about to get, how brutal. And if we were going to survive, a lot of pay cuts would happen, starting with us, my, me and, and my CFO. And then we would also have to lay off a number of people. And, and just the realization when it really hit that we were going to have to go from 70 people down to probably 12, uh, if mm-hmm. you can picture that, that realization. And so rather than do what I've seen at other companies that I worked for before I came and started you know, took, taking over Dorn Homes, uh, where I'd seen pink slips and people just get ushered out of a building and, you know, things can go wrong in a company. Recessions can happen. Downsizing can happen. But, but how do you treat the people and how do you deal with it? And so I just, I made it up as I went along. I invited everyone into a meeting and we were all sitting in this big conference room. And I remember I was crying. I was, um, I was forced to just be transparent. And I told them what was happening and, and, and why it was happening. And my goal and what I, what I told them I would do to the best of my ability was to find each one of them a new job in some other industry because the home building industry was laying off people in droves, uh, the real estate industry in, in its totality. So the search was on to find people jobs in other industries. And so over the next six months, we, we went from a company that had been fairly large uh, as a small business to very small. And I did my best to to call every friend and colleague and network I had in different industries to find people jobs. So I think to answer your question, that was the first thing that happened is it, it takes you to your knees and it, and it, all the trappings go away. And to your point about statistics leave and numbers leave and all the analytical things leave and you just tap the, the deepest parts of you, the feelings, the intuition, the intuition of what, what should I do? Everything that led me to this point in my life, what do I do? And, and I liked your TED Talk when you talked about the, the aerospace engineers that, that discovered the problem with the, the rings. Their intuition told them what to do. And the problem was uh-huh. that no one would listen. So in this case, thank goodness that I didn't have to get anyone's approval to do what I had to do. I just execute it. And so we started finding jobs for people. We started a new a new division of custom homes so we could employ people. It didn't make any money, but we we're able to put people in a whole new division. We started remodeling houses, never remodeled anything in our life. We employed people there. We started a retail business, employed people there. We had friends that owned traffic light companies. We found jobs there. So I was able to start placing people all over the state in different jobs. So it it led to the, I guess, the human side of the business. And in doing so, you get to know the real people that have worked for you. And you realize that as a leader, at least I did, the day was over for me to be one of these managers that's just trying to catch problems and correct people and check the profit margins and look at my daily to-do lists and aggressively chasing goals every week. I morphed completely by the pain and the humanity of, of that two-year period into more of a shepherd where you really truly love, you learn to love your people and you learn to care about them and you learn about their kids and their spouses and, and it changed me. And, and I think from then on, and, and we have a kind of a bar graph I look at every now and then that shows this, you can see the, the, the not only did the, the company change and we started growing again, but then the performance 
results just sort of happened. You know, when everybody became galvanized and aligned around a purpose of survival, it's amazing how it galvanizes, galvanizes a group of people. And it was survival. Every day you get up and it's cash flow so we can make it to the next day. And it's making sure people have jobs and getting through it and, and praying that the recession would end soon. Well, it, it lasted a few years, but we did come out the other side and it's been an incredible ride ever since. And now we're much bigger than we ever were before. And the results, you know, if you want to look at profit and revenue and, and those things, it, it's, to me, it's, it's wilder than my, my biggest dreams ever could be. So that's uh, a long-winded answer. No, it's a great answer. So it sounds like that you had started off this conversation saying that not to so much focus on the profit, but now you are profitable. I saw some of the numbers when we met and you're doing quite well, it sounds like, but it's not divorced from this ministry, as you say. In fact, it seems to be the engine behind it. Fair enough to say? Yes. You know, it's the, it's the chicken and the egg. Uh, and, and I remember Hewlett Packard, when they, when they started in their garage, they worried less about the product that they were going to create and instead about the people and the dream and then they worried about product. And, and, it, and it, it was almost a comparison of that. We, we needed to survive. We had this core group in the, in, as we were coming out of the recession, recession, had been the loyalists and the people that stayed and we didn't have to let them go. They were fantastic. We all hung in there. And now it's time. Okay, it's time to grow this thing. The economy's starting to pick up again. What do we do? And, and then you can reinvent yourself. And we decided to study the whole state of Arizona. Where do we think it's going to be the strongest, the quickest? We identified Northern Arizona and we moved the company up there and we started buying up everything we could. People thought we were crazy, but now we had the team. We had a mission. I ran the company in a much different way and the results sort of followed behind as a, as a result. <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. Okay. Definitely does. Yeah. So you mentioned the word ministry. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting choice of words. Say more about what that means to you. And is it, it does there a, a religious connotation to it, or is there something broader than that? I'm just sort of curious what your thoughts are. Yes, it's it's not religious. Although I, you know, I do go to church and I I'm a believer, but it's not that because we have we have all walks of life. In, in our company. So I, I don't want it to become that. We used to have the wallpaper, like a lot of companies of seven or eight core values and this long mission statement and the things that you learn from reading Jim Collins books, which are all very important, but we didn't quite get it. We, you know, we, we did the exercises. Okay. These are the core values. But if I would ask anyone a week later, no one could remember them. And then the mission, it was sort of empty. It was more like it was an exercise you go through because you read good to great or built to last. So what, what finally happened is we, we changed, we decided not to be a home building company anymore. We decided to be a company that improved the lives of all those we touched. And it sounds a little fuzzy and warm, but what that meant was whether it's customers or trade partners or consultants or employees, everyone that we dealt with, the community especially, as we, as we work through a day, what can we do to improve those people's lives? And we could get behind that. You could remember it, improving the lives of all those we touch. And our core values are, we just, we, we, we distilled it down to just four. 
and they're very simple. And behind most of them is just humility, uh, humbly serving. And, and so we had that. And then we, we looked at where can we do the most good in the community. And, and there was, um, ironically at the time, a severely wounded veteran whose dream was to have a home in Prescott for, for both himself and his family. And we gathered all the trade partners together and everybody agreed to pitch in from framing to plumbing to drywall. And collectively, we built this really great home designed for, for his condition because he was severely wounded on the lower half of his body and handicapped. And we were able to give him a, mor- a mortgage-free home. And so that was the first, the first thing we did. And, and the looks on the faces and the tears, it was so much more important and meaningful and purposeful to us than sitting in some business meeting saying, why isn't the profit margin 7.8% instead of 7.3%? And then, then the next thing we did was we, we started feeding uh, the homeless down the street from our office at a shelter. And it's one of those shelters where everybody is invited to come in. Um, there's some shelters where they're, they're only serving women and children or people that are not addicted to anything. Whereas this is that type of shelter where anyone can come in. And I say that with, you know, reasonably, they can't be a threat to the rest of the people in the, in the shelter. But if they're, if they're addicted to something or they may have some alcohol in them or whatever it may be, they can still come in. And we started serving there every Wednesday night. And one night, one Wednesday night, it would be uh, me and a few people. One, it would be the sales team, one, the construction team. But in doing that, we got to know these people and, and connecting with their lives and then looking at the bare concrete slabs and these little foam pads they sleep on every night where you're sleeping next to 45 other strangers and they're snoring and there's one bathroom and there's no dignity. And, and the team came up with the idea of why can't we as a builder build lodges for these people and let them have dignity and give them hope. And so we did the same thing. We, we had a much bigger uh, scope and vision this time. We went to the trades and said, let's build lodges for these folks. And so that's what we're doing right now. They're under construction. We're going to deliver the first two lodges in April. And every one of the, the people that moves in gets their own bedroom, their own patio. They share a, a communal kitchen and living room and laundry room and two bathrooms with just five other people. And they get true dignity in a, in a family environment. And so it's been amazing how, how much that has rallied our company so that they know, everyone that works for us, that we are involved in something much greater than ourselves. Yes, yes, we build homes. Yes, we develop communities around the state of Arizona. But what do we really do? Why are we really, why do we really exist? And it's not to be a home builder. So that's part of, I think, what your question was about. I think that's such a unique perspective. I'm often in conversations with companies around what's the product of your product. And you really have defined it so well. It's not really about building homes. It's about touching the lives of these people and making it better. And what I've been, was so impressed by was that you all very clearly live and breathe that it's not just a platitude and it's not just some sort of sign that you have on the wall, but you are the product of your product and you get to experience the very thing that which you want your community experience is that, that improvement, that transformation. So I have a question for you because going back to the adversity of the downturn of the economy, you know, if you think about the work of Joseph Campbell and, and he talks about in the hero's journey that sometimes you're called to transform. You may not necessarily want to, but you're called into action. And 
And he certainly got the call. You know, the, the economy certainly woke a lot of people up and, and certainly it did you as well. How do you tap into your intuition now when there isn't that kind of adversity to prompt it? That's a great question. A, a, a myriad of ways. I think one is is to stay... Well, I'm just going to, these are in no particular order. Sure. But for me, and then this is just personally for me, everybody has their own uh, things they do that work for them. For me, it's to stay really close with the people that work with us. And, And when I say that, what that looks like in real life, so that it's not just some, some superficial statement is we invite our employees to submit their dreams to us on a regular basis. And, I, and it, this was an idea that I, I picked up from a, a friend of mine that owns a company in Florida. And, and when I first announced it to our executive team that I want to do this, they thought I was crazy. But we invited everyone in the company to submit their dreams so that we knew everything about the people that were working for us and what, what are their dreams. Because I bet that their dream is not to come to the office every day and sit at a desk and go through variance reports. That's probably not that's not what gets them out of bed in the morning and puts fire in their belly, something bigger. So the dreams that were submitted that came in have been remarkable. And, and, and some are little, you know, there's, there's one of our, our family members, you know, employees that he reads books at a school for some, some folks that are, they're not very privileged and they, they don't have the opportunity. The, the school budget's very low. So he'll go in once a week and read books to these little kids. And his, his dream was he wanted the, the company, Dorn, to buy books so that all these kids could come in and they read the books. And then at the end, they get the books and they keep them. And, and so that was an easy one to say yes to. Or another um, person who, who's one of the leaders in our company, we didn't realize her dad was dying. I don't know if we ever would have learned that if we hadn't, hadn't done this. So he's dying. Her dream was to bring her whole family together one last time before he passes. And so we were able to, to issue that dream where we financed getting all the people together from around the country and place for them to all stay and, and have one big family event. And so it's, it's been there or, or someone that wanted to go to Haiti with his wife on a mission and, and serve those people in Haiti. So we, we agreed to do a, dollar for dollar match with him to really help him raise a lot of money quickly. And so we're sending him off to Haiti. It's those little things. So that's one way that I stay tapped into the intuition. Um, One is reading, you know, I'm reading Les Miserables and I've always loved that play. And it's the little things you, you read a book. And in this case, it's, it's Victor Hugo's uh, tome and it's, (laughs) it's a big book and I'm Mm -hmm. not quite all the way through it, but this character, Jean Valjean, um, what he went through by being falsely, uh, wrongfully accused, and he went to prison for 19 years, and he goes in one man and comes out another, and, and now he's a servant to others. And I'm just reading this book, like, this is so perfect. This is like the ideal character I want to be in life. Well, so where did I pick that up? Well, I read it by just reading a book, but now as I go through my days trying to be intuitive and, and tapping into the feelings of others and dreams, I just keep thinking of what's my ideal or it's Jean Valjean to me now. I just want to be him and live that life. So it's these inspirations come from, um, well, I was, one was, one was coming across something called the term thin place and the hmm. Celts had this term, a thin place and a thin place means a situation or a place or an event where the membrane 
between the spiritual world and the earthly mundane world is its thinnest. So when you can almost feel like you're, you're touching whatever that higher power or intelligence is in, in, in your belief system, and it may not be religious, it may be something spiritual, it may be an intuition, but, but can you find those places in your daily life where you find that thin place? And, and, and it's also called something that's profound. Can you find the profound in your daily life? And so I've tried to make a practice of that, whether you're meeting with someone at lunch or you're interviewing a customer because they're upset about some defect in their home. Is there something profound that I can find in this meeting today? And, and is there a way to improve this person's life? Maybe with a smile or, or a thank you or, or a yes when they're expecting a no. So another, hopefully I'm not being too long-winded for you. No, it's a fantastic, I've not heard that phrase before, a thin place. I'm fascinated by it. So without having read that or understand what that means, what my mind starts to think about, and it doesn't mean this is accurate, but I feel like the way I would describe it myself is that when I allow myself to be tapped into this intuitive side of myself, which is not just the left and right brain sort of working in concert, but that I'm, that I'm so much more focused and aware of things beyond myself, which then brings into that concept around the physical and the spiritual sort of in some sort of a marriage or dance with each other, that they are not separate, but that there's something much greater going on here. Is that an intentionality in your mind around finding that thin place? Is it, is it an expectation that will then manifest itself? Or do you feel that this thin place experience happens given certain conditions? And if so, what are they? Ah, great. Another great question. Wow. Well, you know, in, in, in your TED Talk, you, you referred to meditation. And, and I think you mentioned being present. And so I try to do that a lot of people will will spend a weekend driving to say San Diego so they could sit at the ocean and look out and 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 tap into something as they're looking at a beautiful sunset on the ocean but but if we can harness that same feeling in our office and I can just be quiet and present and listen to what's happening around me and the exercise that you taught us at our retreat where we we sit we don't say anything and we look into somebody's eyes for 2 minutes cuz no one ever does that and it was, it was a remarkable experience for our company that we get to, it was awkward at first. You're, you're staring at somebody. And in some cases, some of these people don't know each other that well. And, 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 and I think intuition, if you, if you call it intuition or feelings or just something deeper inside flows from that, because you're not talking, you're not, you're not trying to communicate other than with your eyes and your face and your, and whatever energy is coming out of you. So I try to be present and I try to talk less and listen more. And if I'm in a meeting, I try to let everybody else talk. And in many cases, they don't even need my opinion. They, they come up with the solution and they get excited and it's, it's, they get behind it. So, you know, before the recession, I was probably one of those leaders that felt like I had to be heard. Maybe because it would, it would give me credibility in my own insecurities of, look, I'm a leader. Look, I, I'm speaking, you, you know, you come out of a lot of carnage like that recession and, and you're brought to your knees and you, it creates humility where maybe there, there was a lack of it before and, and, and being humble 
in, in many cases, sometimes it, be, it means being present and listening and caring more about the person that you're, you're facing than yourself. And so I try to do that. And by being quiet and listening, it taps something and they, they share more and, and they're, they're more, uh, they're more genuine when they're communicating with me because they know I'm listening to them. And, and then intuition does kick in because then I've, 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 I've experienced their feelings, what they're trying to convey, a challenge, a problem. And I've been quiet and, and that quiet brain, I think opens the door to intuition because, mm. it, because if you're just sitting in a meeting and preaching, you know, where does the intuition, when do, when do you have time to even let it come in? So that would be my answer to your question. That's great. I uh, want to get your thoughts on something else. You're just making me think on all sorts of levels here. You're doing your ministry. You're, you're connecting with sometimes some very difficult situations in people's lives. And I'm sure hearing some stories that are hard, you know, very painful. And um, what I have noticed, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is this ability to be humble and to listen and to be present with somebody whose pain might be quite severe and at the same time not let it impede your own intuition your own highest and best if you will that there is uh, times when somebody else's issues stimulate our own and then by the fact that we're now both stimulated in an issue your situation reminds me of mine I'm now pulled out of that thin space and am now into my own worry, my own physical concerns, my own upset. And I share that with you, but I'm not necessarily of much good because I'm in a sense reinforcing your own because now we both have the same wounds in which to lick. So I guess my question is, do you sense that when you're with these people and I, and I watched you six weeks ago with your presence that are you conscious of being present and yet not getting enmeshed being present without being stimulated in a way that prevents you from being of service and i'm wondering whether you have uh, any thoughts on that well i'm not i'm not quite sure i understand the question so i'm uh, my answer i'll probably stumble through an answer and it may no not be I had a hard time describing it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you referring to when I'm interacting with the people we serve, maybe at the homeless shelter or when I'm engaging with people at Dorn Homes or is it both? I think it's any and all. I think it's that I think that intuition can show up, but it sometimes doesn't when we are wrapped up in our own issues when we haven't sort of opened up to something greater you know if i am worried and worried and worried about my son and uh, i might not necessarily think beyond that very specific situation I may not see something bigger i might be talking to a client and they remind me of something in my own life that uh, keeps me from that bigger part of myself i guess that's what i'm talking okay. about is do you notice that yes i think it's human nature that we we all have models, preconditioned models in how we think and, and how, we, how we approach a problem, how we solve a problem. It's the, it's the old, you know, give someone a hammer and, you know, what are they going to do with it? And so 
in modeling, I, I, I try I try to remind myself that I if there's a challenge, if there's something happening, let's say it's a, it's a child that is suffering, your own child, or maybe it's an employee that's about to quit. They're very upset about something or a customer who's irate. The home isn't the way they thought it was going to be. You have to let somebody go. There's someone close to you that's dying. All these things that, that come at you from different directions at different times. And how do you approach it? And generally, it's it's the models that are already inside of your 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 thought process. Well, where does that come from? Well, generally, it just comes from your history and your background and how you were raised and trauma that you experienced as a child. All those things create who you are. And so, when you make decisions, is it is it really um, an objective decision based on wisdom and all the facts? And and are your assertions grounded? Or are they just coming from from a distant place that's in in, in your DNA of how you were raised? Mm-hmm. So right. so how do you get around that? For me, and again, we each have our own way of doing this. And you touched on it with meditation. Um, in in our city in 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 Phoenix, there's a mountain called Camelback Mountain that you're aware of. And whenever I have my biggest problems, challenges, things that I cannot solve, I go to that mountain. And it usually takes about 40 minutes to get up and it takes about 20 minutes to come down. And during the recession, I must've gone up that mountain four or five days a week. And I would do it in the dark with a headlamp because I still had to make it to work by a certain hour. But what's amazing, and it's probably the endorphins that start flowing and and your, your heart's pumping, exercise is happening. But by the time I would come down from Camelback Mountain, Generally, I, I, I had the solution. I had the answer. And, and I was able to look at it from a million different angles. And I was able to challenge my preconceived thinking models and my biases and, and kind of puncture all those and make sure that I was coming at a, a solution that, that was based on something that came, it came from something greater than myself. You, you try to tap whatever that is you're trying to tap to get the answer. And, and, and how do you tap it? And I think everybody has their own methodology. Some people meditate. Some people go on a long run. Some people read a great book. Some people go to sleep and they sleep on it. We, mm. we all have our way. And, and for me, I think getting the exercise, getting the blood flowing, and, and, and that, that mountain became, quote, unquote, my church. And when I say church, it can be a temple. It can be, a, it can be anything. I don't, I don't mean to try to say it's got to be Christian or any any denomination, but that that's been the way I've, I've tapped it. I think that's my, in my answering your question, I hope. Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. I, I love your take on it. it. It makes me think of a couple of things that one, you were breaking a pattern, then you, the pattern you broke was through the exercise, the endorphins. And I know we've talked about our uh, admiration of Joe Dispenza and his work on neurology and and brain patterns and being able to recreate your personality, but you got to break the pattern, break the habit. And, um, and it also seemed like you named this mountain camelback and I know it well. And, uh, the idea that I'm going here for a purpose, I'm not just here to get exercise, but I'm going here to resolve something or to transform an idea. You know, it's becoming my, my church is that you've assigned it its purpose. It's, it, and, and, and in that way, it also creates the habit of a new perspective, you know, a new way of looking at something. I love that. It's fantastic. 
And, and if you go back to the great works of literature, this is where I get, this is what it just inspires me when you start thinking about it, to your point about Joseph Campbell, you know, all of the great stories and, and they, you know, it could be Moses going up to the mountain and coming down with the tablets as a, as, as an analogy. And, and I, I'm not suggesting me coming down from Camelback Mountain, <laughs> I have tablets, but I'm just saying, I think in the history of people living on this planet, They've all wrestled with the same things. And, and so regardless of, of your background, your race, your religion, I, I think those, those same stories, they're out there. And you just got to find them. And they remind us that we still wrestle with the same epic issues. And you can solve them the same way that those people in those great adventures did, regardless of which country or place or belief system you have. Yeah. So, Dave, you mentioned earlier about having your employees, your family members uh, share what their dreams are. And then in many cases, it sounds like you've been able to fulfill on that, which is just fantastic. What's your dream? I mean, it's, it's funny. Um, Ryan Holiday, who does The Daily Stoic, and he's written three big bestsellers. I'm a big Ryan Holiday fan. And, and he's a, he talks about a- ancient philosophies, and he's a He's big on stoicism. So I, I signed up for his, his New Year's challenge. And it was a 21-day challenge. And so one of the challenges was write out your perfect day. What is your perfect day? Because really, the way that you live your day is, you know, you're, you're, you become what you think about. And your, your habits, you know, help create who you are. And so it, it was a beautiful exercise for me. And, and I, I wrote out what my perfect day would be. And, and in doing so, you know, where, where was I when I woke up that morning? And, and what did I do? And where did I sit? And, and what did I do through that whole day? And how did I end it? And by going through that exercise, it was almost an epiphany for me that it crystallized what I want to be doing three to four years from now. And, and, and now I know what to do to get there. So I, I think that's... I, I didn't. I, I I didn't really answer your question. No, but, you uh, did. You okay. Did. Okay. But 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 now you have to. I got to follow up with that. What do you want to be doing in three or four years? Well, well, for me, it's um, it's it's a combination of service, where where I'm serving others, but then I'm also I'm with the people that I love, and life is simple, you know, and that that includes a, a vision of a of a barn, a small barn, and animals and. And, you know, there's a rooster waking you up in the morning and, and you've got coffee on the front porch and you have enough time built in to read and, and grow. And, and I think it's, it's a vision of simplicity and love and service. You know, if I, if I, can, if I can find my way to that, then, then amen, I'm, I'm in a great place. Well, just the fact that you've identified it, I suppose, is half the effort right there. It's a nice vision. So I have one last question for you here, and it would be around what advice you would give. So if you think that this is a podcast around you know intuition and business, which of course not everybody is going to be uh, listening who's a business person, but um, that's where I spend a lot of my time. And so I'm curious about it. But if you were to say, uh, what would be your recommendation for somebody in business to you know, live the, the principles that you are, you're espousing, what would you advise them to do? Wow. Um, 
Well, there's a few things. Uh, you know, everybody talks about culture. Have a great culture. Build a great culture. And and it's become a bit of a of a wallpaper thing. And and when we finally um, were able to wrap our our ourselves around creating real culture, I think it came from this simple, genuine, loving place where when your people, if you're the leader, when your people finally realize that you truly love them and you want to protect them and you want to grow them, when they're convinced of that, you're going to create great culture. But until they are, you can have as many self-help people come in and, and do positive workshops and read books and, you know, give them bonus incentives and, you know, either the, the carrot or the stick on motivation, all that stuff. I think you're going to have a much better odds of creating culture and galvanizing your people if they, if they truly believe that you, you love them and you care about them and you want to protect them. So I think that would be one. And, and then one is like the Dean Newlands of the world. If, if I only would have met them when I was in my 20s and I learned the lessons that you teach, you know, an example is the, the learning that you take from your TED Talk on intuition. Imagine if I had that when I was 25 instead of 53. And so as a leader, you generally know what to do, but you just either get too busy. There's crises, you know, there's all kinds of things you're trying to chase. You forget to do it. So if you can stop and you can write a letter to your 22-year-old version of yourself of, you know, dear 22-year-old version, these are the things that I wish I would have known when I was starting out in my career. And, it, and it's an exercise, kind of like a Ryan Holiday exercise of forcing, forcing you to to put all those things that you've learned down and they, they, they come from all the business books. They come from the seminars you've attended, the movies that you've watched, the fiction you read, but, but you've learned the lessons. We've all learned them, but do we really tap them? Do we really use them? Because generally a 22 year old, when they're starting out and I'm speaking from my own mistakes, I wanted to do it myself. I thought I knew it. I was bulletproof. I was young. I, you come out of school and you think you know everything and, and your mentors, if you're lucky enough to have them, try to tell you, hey, Dave, I would do it this way. Oh, no, but D Dave wants to do it this way because he's so smart because he's 22. I, if I only would have listened more, talked less. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, that's my answer to your question, Dean. That's great. That's great. And finally, you mentioned some books already. And the other, other resources that have really touched you? Uh, you talked about the Ryan Holiday author. You mentioned Les Miserables. We mentioned uh, Joe Dispenza, some of his work. Other resources that just really made a big difference for you? Well, it, it depends on, on what the leader or the person is looking for. So if it's a leader who's trying to really turn uh, her or his company around, then I think there's, there's two classics, and one's called Traction. And it's really, it's an instruction manual that you can read chapter by chapter with your leadership team. And even if you have a company of two or a company of 300, you break into teams, you go through it. And, and it, it is truly the guide book on how to turn a company around or how to build a great company. And Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish, same thing. Those two, and, they're, and they're, you don't need both of them. I would pick one or the other. A lot of what's in traction was taken by Rockefeller Habits, and I'm a big Vern Harnish fan. So those are the two that I would recommend for, for really 
you know, putting the rocket fuel and starting a company or turning a company around. I love Jim Collins and I loved good to great. And there's so much, there's so much great wisdom in that book. Gosh. Um, one of my classics that I love is the untethered soul hmm. by Michael Singer. And that's really to, to tap into the, the softer part of, of who you are as a person. And it, there's nothing about business in it, but as far as one of the greatest books I've ever read that I give out probably more than any other book, it's the untethered soul. I think Oprah listed it as one of her all time favorites. And then I was a really big Steve Covey fan. I still am. And as a young person, I think I was 19. I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, life-changing book. And, and, and the wisdom in that book, I mean, it's still there. How to Win Friends and Influence Others is one of my all-time favorites. Gosh, there's, there's, there's so many, uh, but those are some. Another quick shout out. I know that you connected me to, well, I'm not even sure it's good to call it a time management process, but we, we had a shared interest in developing habits and you did a great piece in your retreat on the work of James Clear from his book, Atomic Habits. And then I believe that a lot of your leaders have now used a kind of a journal system called Best Self. And I'll just want to call that one out. I've just started using that process. And thank you very much for for sending one over. But I ended up buying like 10 of them. And I'm now giving them out like candy to people. So uh, the, the idea around that one, I think, is that the goals that you might establish are great but the habits that precede them are going to be extremely important to make that happen. And these tools that we just mentioned are all about those habits and breaking bad habits and creating more positive, good ones. Great point. Thanks for, for reminding me of those. Those are terrific. Yeah. And then and two last call outs, getting things done. If you're looking on, on maximizing your time management is probably the best uh, and then the, the four agreements, another great. Oh, book. yes. Um, I, yeah. I, I learned a lot from that one as well. Well, wonderful. We'll mention all of this uh, with each of these podcasts. We have a description about the, you know, the person like yourself. And I'll list out all of these, these resources that you had mentioned. Um, and then if people wanted to connect to what Dorn Holmes is all about, what's your website? It's DornHolmes.com, D-O-R-N-H-O-M-E-S.com. Fantastic. And although he didn't say that, I should point out that Dorn Holmes um, has won how many awards in, 19, in 2019? I mean, an insane amount. Well, well it's funny. We're, this is our, 52, our 52nd year in business. And so our marketing team came up with the idea of 52 awards in 52 years. And, and we went back and counted all the awards and there's been a little over 52. So I was very proud of the team. So that's what that's going to be our campaign rolling into this year. But yeah, 2019 was a big year. On I think we had four national awards and a a lot of local awards. So I couldn't be more proud of our team and, and what they're doing because their their actions and their service, their humility, it's being noticed by others. And I just love to see them. I love to see them get accolades. And didn't you also win like the best builder in Arizona in 2019? It, the the, the best builder in Arizona was in 15, um, 15, but we've won best home builder in the quad cities this year, best home builder in Prescott. We've, we've won the best home builder and best company to work for two years in a row. So it, it's the people in our company that do this. And I'm just their main cheerleader. 
Well, I, I, I want to say that as we close this out, it's not just that you're the main chicken leader. You are the vision. You are the mission. You are the ministry behind this whole movement. It's, I've been around the block long enough to know that leadership means a lot. It doesn't happen just out of um, spontaneous combustion. There is a there's an idea, there's an energy, there's a force behind it, and you are that force. And I'm just so very pleased and proud to be able to have met you and to have you on this podcast and to be able to do the work that we did you know, six weeks ago. It was just a delight. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's an honor and a privilege, Dean. Thanks for including me. You bet. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.